Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Simply put, he was the franchise. He was always called the franchise, and he remains the franchise. He, he was the greatest player in Mets history and probably the most important person in Mets history, at least to date. The best arm that we had, the best competitor we had, the guy who was going to take you the furthest was Tom Seaver. And, and, and you know, him being called the franchise was entirely appropriate. And, and he made that point every time he went to the mound. Tom Seaver was more than just a great pitcher. He was a legend. So he speaks not only to the history of the Mets, but to the history of, of sports in New York and, in fact, New York itself. You know, I have great admiration for his ability and what he did for the game. And There's no doubt in my mind that uh, history will show he's one of the greatest pitchers ever to pitch in the major league. To go along with all of his achievements, the Mets have honored Seaver with a new statue at Citi Field. I think it's long overdue. He certainly is the face of the franchise. And so having that statue is going to, I'm sure, inspire a lot of people to learn more, not only about Tom or about the Mets of that era, but about the history of New York in those days. That's how big a part of it Tom Seaver was. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Steve Scott. This week, we pay tribute to Baseball Hall of Famer and 12-time All-Star Tom Seaver. Seaver is credited with single-handedly changing the fortunes of the Mets. In just a few years, they went from the worst team in history to the best in baseball. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champions. He did it with talent, determination, grit, willpower, and intellect. Tom Seaver was the smartest, most fascinating ball player I ever covered in all the years I've been covering baseball for the Daily News. The 3,200-pound bronze and steel statue shows Seaver in action. It depicts his drop-and-drive delivery. A little later, we'll hear from baseball writer and Seaver biographer Bill Madden and two of Seaver's Mets teammates, Art Shamsky and Ron Swoboda. But we'll start with the voice of the Mets and lifelong Mets fan, Howie Rose. He spoke to WCBS sports anchor Brad Heller about the importance of the statue. It's not so much validation because Tom doesn't need a sculpture to be validated for what he did with the Mets. What it is really is a gift to the Seaver family, to the fans, and to the city of New York because Tom was such an integral part 
of not only Mets baseball, but baseball in New York, and even if you really want to go a little further than that, the culture of what New York was in the late 60s and early 70s when the Mets were huge and largely successful starting in 1969 for several years. And, you know, we had some iconic athletes in this town in those days, you know, from, I'll take it from when Mickey Mantle retired, you know, to Joe Namath and Walt Frazier and Willis Reed and Rod Gilbert. And, you know, I'm sure I'm leaving people out that don't deserve to be neglected. But the point is that Tom was every bit as big as any one of them. And so he speaks not only to the history of the Mets, but to the history of, of sports in New York and, in fact, New York itself. You have such a unique perspective being a fan growing up and then being a broadcaster and being linked to this organization. As you, as you got to know Tom over the years, what can, is there a story that you can, a story that you can share uh, about with Tom and your relationship and just – how he feels and his connections to this organization? Well, you know, a couple of things. Uh, I had such a great couple of hours at the um, Seaver home back in 2016 with Jeff Wilpon and Jay Horowitz. And uh, just, you know, seeing Tom, even as some of the issues that ultimately would take him from us were beginning to take hold and, in fact, had taken hold, specifically memory-related issues. When he got going on some of the memorable moments of his career, he just went on and on in great and specific detail uh, to see his, quote, trophy room where he had commemorative baseballs from every big game that he'd ever won, including his very first win in Little League. His mom save that baseball form, and it was up on the shelf with all the others that made up one wall and one room. That was special. Working with him was a treat. I was amazed one night. We were doing a game in St. Louis, and Tom's making a point after a pitcher had thrown a pitch. The pitcher was getting set to throw his next pitch, and then Tom goes, oh, that's a balk. And one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Then the umpire waves his arms and yells, that's a balk. So, you know, it was just the brilliance of Tom that transcended his work on the mound carried into the broadcast booth because, um, you know, he, he just didn't miss a thing. And then, you know, just some of the nights driving back to the hotel from the ballpark and having him tell some stories about those days. You know, they were, A, informative because we got into some pretty deep baseball discussions, and also they were just so nostalgic because there were times within those conversations when I was a 15-year-old kid again listening to Tom tell stories that I'd never heard about plenty of my boyhood heroes, you know. So uh, that just took on many layers of a relationship that was very, very special to me. And Tom even did a, a little blurb for my book, which was so nice. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I say this all the time, but I, I can't think of him in the past tense, you know. He's still very much with us. Ron Swoboda feels the same way. You know, by everything that's right in this world, Tom Seaver should be there. Swoboda was an outfielder on the Mets when Seaver arrived in 1967. He tells WCBS reporter Peter Haskell there was no learning curve for the man who would win Rookie of the Year. Tom Seaver came to the Mets as a complete article. Uh, it, there was no break-in period for Tom. He came out of the box... Uh, as, as the same kind of Hall of Fame stuff that he would eventually, you know, get him voted in, you know. In other words, he came out of the box a complete article. 
there wasn't there wasn't any oh well Tom's got to get his feet on the ground. Tom knew what he wanted to do uh, uh, psychologically, uh, physically. He knew how to pitch. His confidence was there at that level. He looked like the same guy who was going on to the Hall of Fame. All he had to do was stick around long enough to amass the numbers. That's what I saw in Tom Seaver right out of the gate. You know, it's interesting. There are different things here. One is the physical ability. Two is the mental approach to the game. And three, I guess, is that competitive spirit. If you could talk about each of those things. Well, yeah, you know, he, 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 you're, you're, you're really talking about the, the whole kit and caboodle. When, when, when Tom showed up, you saw this great confidence. Um, he was sure what he could do out there, and he went about doing it. And he did it every day, and he did it from day one on. And so, so there was, you know, exuding that confidence, showing top-level stuff, you know, okay, you, you know, that's back before radar guns and stuff like that. Back in the day when Seaver showed up, you know, you kind of relied on the hitters to uh, show you how your stuff was playing. And with Seaver, it was obvious this was top drawer stuff and, and uh, command of his stuff. You know, the, everything you needed out there to win ball games, Tom Seaver could supply and and we saw it from the beginning and and we knew all of a sudden now you didn't need five or six runs to win a ball game with tom if you got two or three runs you you, you were golden on most occasions uh, you could win without having an explosion of offense and the other thing you're standing out there in the outfield with a glove on your hand you're not going to have to use it as much because the ball doesn't come into play as hard as often as when Tom is on the mound. And, and, and those things were apparent from day one. The baseball skills were significant, but just part of the story. The Mets had lost a record 120 games in their first season in 1962. In Seaver's rookie year of 1967, they went 61 and 101. They were known as lovable losers. Swoboda says that did not sit well with Tom Terrific. Well, I think that probably annoyed him as much as anything coming in there and, and, and joining a team that that had that phrase lingering around it, you know, in the clubhouse, lovable losers. Well, we're not going to be losers anymore. And um, the lovable part, we don't care. And, and I think, you know, I mean, that was Seaver's message, and it wasn't in anything he said. It was in the way he went out there and applied himself um, uh, every start. And he didn't miss many starts. Tom was physically capable, and when he went out there, he went out there to pitch nine innings or more if it was necessary. That was back in the day of complete games from your starting rotation. And Seaver, you know, led the march, and Kuzma came behind him, and you know, and and Gary Gentry and and Jim McAndrew, and you know, Tug McGraw coming out of the bullpen. Eventually, it's not in anything anybody says because baseball is not a game of, of you know, of, of radical clubhouse speeches. 
it's a game of playing it every day, day in and day out. And 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 Seaver gave you uh, the sense that uh, there weren't going to be as many losing streaks with him in your pitching rotation. To go along with the formidable skills was a fierce desire to win. Art Shamsky played with Seaver and Swoboda when the Miracle Mets won 100 games and the 69 World Series. Well, I think his competitive spirit, is, 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 his toughness as a pitcher, he would never, he'd be a guy that, uh, uh, you know, he might get stronger as the game went on, as many did, many pitchers did back in that era. Um, he would never give up the ball with a runner in a scoring position in a tight game. He would not want to leave that ball game. And, and um, I just think that he, he just had this in, innate uh, desire to be successful and, and work at his craft and and he was a he was a wonderful pitcher to, to play behind and um, I used to call him uh, uh, to this day I still call I call him when people mention his name I say he was Van Gogh on the mound and Jerry Kuzman was a cat and it was two different kind of pitchers but both of them superior pitchers in their own right but Tom was uh, the class by himself. Maybe the most important thing Sieber did was change the culture of the Mets. Losing was no longer acceptable, and winning was expected. Bill Madden is the national baseball columnist for the New York Daily News. He also wrote a 2020 biography titled Tom Sieber. He spoke with our Peter Haskell. He was always called the franchise, and he remains the franchise. He, he was the greatest player in Mets history and probably the most important person in Mets history, at least to date, uh, we'll see what happens, you know, in the next 15 to 20 years. But it's going to take somebody really huge in terms of uh, impact on the team and just overall brilliance to surpass Tom Seaver. What was it about him that made him so important? Well, he changed the whole culture of the Mets when he came there in uh, 1967. He spent only a year in the minor leagues uh, when they signed him. Uh, and he immediately came up to the club. And uh, you have to remember, this was the early 60s. Uh, well, it was the mid-60s by the time he got there. But the early 60s when the Mets were formed, they were the laughing stock of baseball. The 1962 maiden season, they had the worst record in the history of baseball, which remains the worst record in the history of baseball. And Seaver got there and... He looked around the clubhouse, he read the papers and things like that, uh, where the writers were calling them the uh, the uh, the Amazons, and it wasn't because they were playing amazing, it was because Casey Stengel used that term to say he saw some amazing things from the Mets, but they weren't, they weren't good things, they were just incredibly bad things. And so there was all this joking around about how bad the Mets were. And Seaver got there and he said, this is, uh, this is unacceptable. And he came out right from the start. He was this brash rookie, and he said, "Look, I am not. I did not come here to lose. I've never been a loser in my entire life, and I don't intend to start it now. And we are going to be a better team, and we are going to be a winning team." And um, he lived up to his word. In 1967, he he became uh, he. I believe he set a club record for wins with 16. He was 16 and 13, and he had a 2.76 ERA, and he was the best pitcher already that they had ever seen with the Mets. And he was the, immediately was the National League Rookie of the Year. 
And from there, it just it just uh, continued. Seaver was there. He was the immediate leader of the team. He was not going to accept losing, and they got considerably better each year until 1969 when they became the Miracle Mets and won the world championship, and he was the leader of that team. He won 25 games that year, <clears throat> led, the Amer- led the National League with wins, had a 2.21 ERA, and he, was won- and he won his first Cy Young Award that year. Madden saw the many facets and interests of Seaver. I would have to say that Tom Seaver was the smartest, most fascinating ball player I ever covered in all the years I've been covering baseball for the Daily News. Uh, I never, for example, I never met a ball player that would be sitting in front of his locker before every game doing the New York Times crossword puzzle in pencil. Uh, this was the kind of, he was an intellect. He was uh, on top of all world events and everything else like that beyond just being a, a jock. And um, he took his intellect to the mound. I mean, he was an, he turned pitching into an art. Uh, he studied batters. He he did things that a lot of other pitchers had never done before as far as just his preparation for every game. And um, that continued on through his entire career. And everything he did, he did with that kind of intellect and that kind of uh, studying what he was all about. And it even transformed into uh, his second life as a vintner out in California. He had made up his mind a long time before he actually did it, that when he was done with playing baseball, he wanted to make wine in California. And um, that's exactly what he did, but not just going out to California and buying a vineyard. No, no, he built his own vineyard and he he had books, he bought books and everything he, he could find to learn the whole process. And then when he went out there, <clears throat> just like he prepared for all his pitching assignments and everything else like that, he prepared. He hired the best vineyard manager out in Napa Valley, and he hired the best winemaker out in Napa Valley, and basically put them to work. And he followed their instructions or whatever, and um, he wound up making one of the best cabernets out there, still out there. He won at least one a wine spectator award. He, I think, he got a 97 on his on his uh, 2015 vintage. So, and then this was Seaver. He didn't do anything haphazard. He, haphazard, I should say. He did everything fully involved. And uh, that was the way he was. And um, because he was so smart and because he was so diligent, uh, he was a success at everything he ever did. Let's get back to the Seaver statue. Bill Madden isn't sure why it took so long. They should have been right there and then. When they built City Field, they should have had his statue right out in front of the place. Just like all these other new ballparks that went up in Detroit and Pittsburgh and all these other places, as soon as these new ballparks went up, one of the first things they had was a statue to their greatest players. Roberto Clemente in Pittsburgh and all the great Tiger players, Ty Cobb and Al Kaline in Detroit. You go to any of these stadiums, they all have statues of their of their most famous players and greatest players. It's been long overdue. It should have been there should have been one at Shea Stadium, and there certainly should have been one at City Field when they opened the place. We'll give the final word to Mets broadcaster Howie Rose. 
You know what it's going to be? It's going to be instructive because, well, A, it'll be a destination point, just as the Willie Mays statue is in San Francisco at Oracle Park. People are going to say, I'll meet you at the Seaver statue, or let's take a picture by the Seaver statue. That'll be great in and of itself. But there are going to be a lot of people who come off of that subway platform who are too young to have seen Tom Pitch. And specifically, there will be some really young kids who are going to ask their mom and dad, who's that statue for? Tell me who Tom Seaver was, unfortunately, and tell me about him and why is there a statue for him. And nowadays, of course, you don't need to go to the library to grab books. You just go onto the Internet and search as much as you have the time to look for and find stories and details about what made Tom Seaver so special, not only to the Mets, not only to baseball, but to New York. And and so having that statue is going to, I'm sure, inspire a lot of people to learn more, not only about Tom or about the Mets of that era, but about the history of New York in those days. That's how big a part of it Tom Seaver was. The statue of Seaver is now a permanent part of the Mets' home. That's it for 880 In-Depth this week. Tim Scheld and Peter Haskell are our executive producers. Our thanks to this week's guests, Mets play-by-play man Howie Rose, Daily News baseball columnist Bill Madden, and two outfielders from the 69 Mets, Art Chamsky and Ron Swoboda. You can find us at WCBS880.com, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your audio. And please subscribe. I'm Steve Scott. Thanks for listening. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 